0: Look over in Philippians chapter 4. In Philippians chapter 4, this is the Apostle Paul speaking. Philippians chapter 4 verse 10, it says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Specifically, what he's talking about is the Philippians, he said here, were the only church that had ever communicated with him concerning giving and receiving. It's the only church that had ever given to Paul after he left the area. They actually sent messengers and communicated unto him twice while he was in Rome. And so he, this is what he's talking about. He says, I praise God that you've sent this offering once again and have given unto me. And he says, you desired to do it before, but you lacked opportunity. You know, they didn't have the communications that we do today and... Paul was in transit for about a year, coming from Caesarea all the way to Rome. He was shipwrecked during that period of time and isolated on an island, and so they didn't know where he was. When they found out he was in Rome, they finally caught up with him and sent another gift for the support of his ministry. And Paul was thanking them for this and says, you wanted to do it before, you just didn't have the opportunity. He was thanking them. And here's what he said in verse 11, Not that I speak in respect of want... For I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Paul said he learned to be content. He learned to be content. It's not something that comes on you like a cold. It's not something that grabs you like a seizure. Contentment is not a byproduct of circumstances. It's a a choice. Contentment is not a state of being. It's a state of mind. You learn to be content. And because Christians have not been content, therefore Satan just, I mean, brings a lot of problems into our life. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. And if you are deficient in joy, you are deficient in strength. Matter of fact, the scripture says that if if you faint in the day of adversity, then your strength is small. The joy of the Lord is your strength. So if you faint in the day of adversity, your joy is small. You know, joy is one of the things that'll keep you from going under. Joy is a powerful force in your life. Jesus said that joy and praise was uh, strength to still the enemy and the avenger. And I know some of you are listening and say, Well, brother, I know that, but I, I would rejoice if it wasn't for my problems. Jesus said in John 16, he says, In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He didn't say said, hey, be of good cheer, I'm going to take care of everything, there won't be any problems, and then you're going to be of good cheer. No, he says, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Paul and Silas in the 16th chapter of the book of Acts were in the prison in Philippi, and man, they got to praising God at midnight with their head and their feet in the stocks in the lowest part of the dungeon, everything going against them, threatening to be killed, and Paul and Silas were rejoicing and singing praises, and God sent an earthquake and set them free. Praise, joy, victory is not dependent upon circumstances. I'm trying to get this across to you because we've bought into a lie. Our society today is into this everybody made me do it type of thing. We, we blame somebody for everything and if negative circumstances happen then most of us just believe well this is the way I've got to be or I'm in denial. Well I am denying the devil the right to dominate me. You know there is a difference between me and an animal. I am not just a hunk of tissue that when something happens, I must respond in a certain way. I have a choice. God made me in his image. Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 19 says, Behold, I call heaven and earth to record against you this day that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your seed may live. God gave you the choice. Satan cannot make the choice. God will not make the choice. It's not God that's making you live a certain way. It's not God who has either blessed you or hasn't blessed you. God has blessed all of us. It's us that has chosen to look at the negative. If Eve could find something negative in her existence, there's negative things in your existence. If the disciples could find something that they thought would be better than Jesus, then you can find something better than your salvation. But the truth is that they should have been content with what they had. Both of them had no reason to complain, and yet they did, because Satan can make even a perfect person discontent. You have God living on the inside of you. God's blessing is in your life, and yet the truth is there's a lot of Christians today going around complaining and miserable and sad, not because of their problems, but because they aren't focused on their answer. Paul said he learned to be content. How did Paul learn to be content? Look over here in the first chapter. I just want to give you a real quick Bible study through the book of Philippians and show you how Paul learned to be content. Paul started off, Philippians chapter 1, verse 3, he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Do you know that word fellowship right there, is, it's been translated partnership in other places in the Bible? It's literally talking about their finances is what he's talking about. He was praising God because these people were people that had contributed to him. And he says that over in the fourth chapter, they had done it twice. They were the only ones who had given. Paul said here, I praise God upon every remembrance of you. You know, there are some people you don't praise God every time you think of. (laughs) I'm speaking as a minister. There's some places I go, Calvary Cathedral is one of these places that, man, I praise God every time I think about Calvary Cathedral and the people here. But there's some places I go that I ask God to help me forget. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Man, these people were special to Paul. And he says, in every prayer of mine, making request for you. Paul prayed a lot. And so that means that Paul thought of these people every single day. Even though he was separated half a world apart, Paul thought of these people. Paul loved these people. And uh, he says a lot of other good things for time. I need to skip on that. But he was talking about how he's just confident God's going to continue to work in them. He says, I believe that the love of God is going to be shed abroad in your heart, that you'll be brought to perfection. He's expressing his love for these people. And then he turns around and in verse 12, he begins to start trying to comfort these people because Paul not only loved them, but they loved him. It was a mutual thing. And he knew that they were worried about him. Again, you gotta remember that the communication was not the same. Paul had been in prison a minimum of three years by this time, possibly five years. The scripture doesn't make it clear, but at least three years, maybe five years. If somebody you loved, if somebody came here and preached the gospel in this church and you all just responded to him and loved him with all of your heart, and then you found out that for preaching the gospel he was put in prison and he'd been there for three or five years. He'd been shipwrecked. You didn't know if he was alive for a period of time. I guarantee you, you'd be concerned about him, especially if you couldn't get information back and forth quickly, and you'd want to hear. So Paul knew that they were concerned about him, and Paul was trying to set them at ease, that, hey, I'm okay, don't worry about me. And look how he did this. This is amazing. In verse 12, he says, But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all of the palace and in all other places. Paul is trying to comfort them, saying, guys, don't worry about me. How was it he comforted them? He says, it's because my imprisonment has worked out for the furtherance of the gospel. The gospel has been promoted through my bonds. Well, many of you are thinking, that wouldn't be any comfort. Who cares about the gospel being promoted? Man, if you're hurting... You want out. But you know what, Paul, this is really revealing something here. Paul was sharing with them the things that had comforted him. You know how he justified being in prison? Because the gospel was being promoted. If the gospel was being promoted with him being in prison, then lock him up. Man, this reveals something awesome about Paul. Paul was more concerned with the gospel than he was his own life. He was more concerned with the gospel than he was self. And that's what gave him comfort. The way that he was able to justify this is, he says, i got an all-expense-paid trip to Rome. He says, I'm being taken care of. And he says, man, people all over the palace, people in Caesar's household are hearing the gospel. And because of that, that, that was worth five years' worth of imprisonment. How many of us in here would be, you know, you would consider it to be worth five years' worth of imprisonment if you could share the gospel with somebody? There's some of us in here that say, I don't know if that'd be worth it or not. This is one of the secrets why he had learned to be content. Because you know what? His self-welfare, self-preservation was not the most important thing in his life. And so he goes on to say in verse 14, he says, And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. You know what he's talking about? He says some of the brethren are preaching the gospel. They're bold because they see me standing and they see that I'm still uh, preserved, that God's taken care of me, and they've lost their fear of persecution and they're out boldly speaking the word. Others are doing it of contention. Some people wonder, how could you preach the gospel of contention? You know, there's a little bit of ambiguity here. Some people wonder about this. But what I believe he's talking about is that people were getting this message about, have you heard about this guy in prison? He believes that there was a Jesus, a, a man, a Jew in Nazareth that died, and he was supposed to be the Messiah, and God raised him from the dead on the third day. And they were mocking him and making fun. This guy's crazy. He believes that Jesus was raised from the dead. They were mocking him. It was contention. They were thinking that it was making his situation worse. And Paul's saying, I don't care. Doesn't matter if they're sincere, if they're just talking about it. It says the gospel is getting out. The good news is being spread. People are hearing that there is a man who was raised from the dead and God can use it. In other words, people who are mocking him and making fun of him and things like that, Who cares? The gospel's getting out. You know, I was recently on radio in Ireland, and this guy made fun of me for an hour, ridiculed me, called me a liar, a thief, and on and on. And it was his program. There was no way I could do anything. So I just sat there and let him humiliate me. And you know what? The gospel got out. Man, our meetings increased. (laughs) People came to see this American crook. It worked for the furtherance of the gospel. You know, most people would think, well, how could you do that? What about you? The right attitude is, what about the gospel? If it advances the gospel, why do you care so much about yourself? Some of you are saying, this doesn't compute. Brother, self's the center of the universe. Everything revolves around me. If I'm feeling, if somebody's doing something to me, I can't be happy. Well, that's one of the secrets that Paul learned. Is that the world didn't revolve around him? Man, if the gospel was being preached, even if people were mocking him, he says, I rejoice. In verse 18, what then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation. And my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed But that with all boldness as always So so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body Whether it be by life or death Boy what a radical statement He says I'm rejoicing because I'm praying That man this is going to add to my salvation And I just want Jesus to be magnified in my body Whether it's by life or death How in the world could somebody say, man, I want Jesus to be glorified. If it means me dying, so be it. Let's glorify Jesus. You know, this is not popular in the United States today. This isn't popular where our whole culture is built around, I've got rights. Who cares about your rights? Give me my rights. I'm going to sue the socks off of you, and I don't care if it makes everybody's insurance go up. I don't care what happens. Give me mine. I'm going to get mine and forget the rest of you. That is an attitude that has permeated the United States. Give me mine. Do something for me. Who cares about anything else, anybody else? Boy, that attitude isn't what Paul is expressing. In the next verse says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. See, here's the real secret. You know why Paul had learned to be content? Because Paul had come to a place where he wasn't the center of his world. He had died to himself to where the point that living was just Christ. He didn't care about self. Self is like a bottomless pit. You can never fill it. You can never satisfy it. It's like a drug addiction. You can't give it enough to make it high. It'll just last temporarily and then you'll have to give it another shot of more. It can never be satisfied. It's insatiable. You can never be satisfied. You can never be content. You can never operate in true joy as long as self is the guiding light, the force in your life. It's impossible. The reason Paul had learned to be content was because he said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He had reached a place to where living to him was inconsequential. It didn't matter if he was here or there. The only thing he cared about was Jesus. He says in the next verse, but if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Talking about prison. He was in prison. Yet what I shall choose, I won't not. He's saying, if I live in the flesh, prison's my lot. He says, but I don't know what I should choose. Most of us, well, I know what I'd choose. (laughs) Amen. If prison was my lot, I'd get out of that whatever it took. But see, he didn't care. Prison's no problem. You know, I talked to a prisoner recently, and he was faced with 24 years in jail. And he said that, man, it doesn't matter if he gets 24 years or if he gets out. He says, for the first time in his life, he's got joy, he's got peace. And he says, it doesn't matter. There's people in here that need the Lord. He says, I'm happy for the first time in my life. That man knew more about contentment than most of us on the outside walking free. Everything in his circumstances was negative, but you know what? He wasn't looking at his circumstances. This is what Paul is describing. In verse 23, For I I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Paul says, I have a desire to go to be with the Lord, but it's more needful for whom? For you, that I stay in the flesh. And he says, That your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you. Only let your conversation be, etc. And he says, And, uh, Or excuse me, verse 25, And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance of joy and of faith. Paul said, I'm really longing to go and be with the Lord, and yet I'm I'm struggling about being here. Why? Most of us would say it's because, man, I don't want to die. Because I can't bear, you know, that wasn't an issue. Self was not the issue with Paul. He says, the only reason I have a desire to be here is because it's needful for people. He says, it's for your joy is the only reason I have a desire to be here. If you can reach this place to where yourself is not the driving force in your life, where you aren't living to please yourself, but literally you've died to yourself. You recognize yourself is what ruined your life. Yourself is what got you into all the trouble that you're in. It's not the color of your skin. It's not somebody else. It's not what somebody else did to you. It's your reaction. Everybody had a choice of being bitter or better. It was your choices that put you into the mess that you're in. Once you understand that self is the only problem that you've ever had. Amen. It's not other people. It's yourself that's the problem. Once you understand that and then you die to it and say, Father, I just turned from this. I don't want to live for myself. I'll do whatever you say. God, you're in control. Jesus, I want to live for you. You're my life. If you ever reach that place, you, you won't be intimidated. The devil can come to you and say, I'm going to kill you. And you say, oh, wonderful. Man, for me to live is Christ to die is gain. Man, if the doctor comes up and says, you're going to die of cancer instead of falling apart like a $2 suitcase and just, I mean, oh, what's going to happen to me? You'll go up and kiss the doctor. Kiss him right on his forehead. Thank you, doc. Man, that's the best news I've had all day. Man, to die is gain. I'm going to go be with Jesus. Or maybe he wants to heal me so that I can stay here and use that testimony to reach somebody else. Either way, no problem. I'd rather go be with the Lord, but, you know, if he wants to heal me, well, then praise God, I'll just stay here and rub the devil's nose and he'll be sorry he ever made me sick. Amen? But, you know, the truth is most people, honestly, you couldn't bear the thought of dying. Why? Because self. You know, if you die, once you die, it's no big deal. I had a guy die on me one time while I was preaching in Kansas City. The guy had a diabetic coma, and he was dead for 45 minutes right in the middle of my message. It nearly ruined the service. I told him it was the rudest thing anybody ever did in my meeting. I couldn't believe he did that. He was dead for 45 minutes, and then he came back to life. And he came back the next night and told us about going to heaven. He'd been on television and shared it. And you know what? After this guy died, he wasn't afraid of dying. He found out what death was. He says he he didn't go through anything. He never felt any pain. He says he just zipped, was in the presence of God. He says you don't die. You just go to be with the Lord. You know, once he experienced death, he wasn't afraid of death anymore. Once you die to yourself, did you know what? You won't be afraid of self anymore. You won't be afraid of self not getting its way, of somebody rubbing you the wrong way or something not going your way. It doesn't matter. The reason most of us have a chip on our shoulder is because we aren't dead to ourself and self is dominant, ruling, controlling our life. It's insatiable. We can't satisfy it. And we're trying to satisfy it and thinking that when self finally gets full, then we're going to be happy. That's not the way that Paul learned to be content. He just learned to deny himself. Look over in Acts chapter 20. I'm talking as fast as I can. Man, this must be overtime. People are just getting up and leaving. I know I'm not preaching that bad in Acts chapter 20 verse 24 it says uh, but none of these things move me well let's back up in verse 22 Acts twenty twenty two, 22 it says and now behold I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem not knowing the things that shall befall me there save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city saying that bonds and afflictions abide me What would happen if the Holy Ghost told us that every city you go into, you're going to either be bound or afflicted? (laughs) Some of you probably wouldn't leap down. Some of you would figure, man, this is good enough for me. I'm not going anywhere. But Paul said in verse 24, he says, but none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. He says, it doesn't move me. If bonds and affliction, if somebody's going to beat me, he was beaten with rods three times. He was beaten with stripes above measure. He was afflicted. He says, none of these things move me. Doesn't affect me. Why? Because I don't count my life dear unto myself. Who cares if self is abused? Who cares if self isn't Taken care of. Again, we're in church and some of you are trying to put on your best front and look good. But you know, the truth is out on the street, somebody comes up and pokes you, does something to you. And I guarantee you, most of you feel I got a right to do anything. They touched me. I got my rights. You know, Jesus said, turn the other cheek. You know how you turn the other cheek? You get to where you don't care if they hit the other cheek. You don't care about self amen. I'm always thinking, brother you can't live this way. Yes you can. Paul Paul did it. Paul learned there's a lot of people in Scripture that learned it and this isn't for people just 2,000 years ago. I guarantee you, there's nothing different about God. The only thing that's different is our society. We are probably the most self-centered selfish society that has ever existed on the face of the earth by multiplied by a hundred or a thousand. We are probably the most self-centered, self-indulged, spoiled, rotten group of people that have ever walked on the face of the earth. That's the only thing that's changed. Our reference point. We look around and say, but everybody's this way. Well, then everybody's wrong. I'm telling you that dying to yourself and getting to where you don't love yourself to the death, where you don't even care, is the key to contentment. If all you care about is the Lord and you're out to glorify the Lord, they come up and put you in jail, and you say, man, I'm getting to tell the jailers about the Lord. I'm getting to witness to the other people in here. God. You can have joy and contentment. I know a lady that did that over in Israel, uh, Claudia Porter. She was out on the streets witnessing, and man, they stuck her in prison for witnessing and passing out tracts in Jerusalem. And they didn't keep her in there more than just a couple of hours because she was evangelizing the prison. She was in there witnessing to everything that moved. And they kicked her out and said, We'll let you out if you'll quit talking about Jesus. Amen. You know what? She was in there taking it as an opportunity. There's people in prison that need Jesus. You know, if you weren't thinking so much about self and what self is suffering you, it wouldn't matter. wouldn't matter what's happening to you. Thank you for that thunderous silence. (laughs) He says, this is what I do so that I might finish my course with joy. We're talking about how to be happy. How is it that you have joy and peace and happiness? You do it by not loving your life unto the death, not caring about yourself. You know, if you get to where self and satisfying yourself is not your goal, you'll find out that, man, everything just begins to function better. That's the way that God set the kingdom up. So he goes on in the second chapter. And in the second chapter, he uses Jesus as an example. This is Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And he uses Jesus. Man, you talk about an example of not loving himself, loving other people more. Matter of fact, the verse is right in front of this. In verse 3, he says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Radical concept of people today. How could you love anybody more than you love yourself? Most people don't believe that's possible. It is possible. It's not only possible, it's actually a better way to live is to love people more than you love yourself. Literally lay down your life, even if it costs you something. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. That's a superior way to live. In verse 4, look not every man on his own things, but look every man on the things of others. Do you know that that's normal Christianity? Not being self-centered, not just thinking about yourself, but thinking about others. And then he says, do it the way Jesus did. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. You know, the NIV translates this as it um, didn't think that equality with God was something to be grasped. I have no idea what that means, but it sounds to me like it's saying that he he didn't think that he was equal with God. Well, that certainly is not what this is saying. This is saying he didn't think it was unjust to be equal with God because he was God. In other words, he knew who he was. He knew that he was God manifest in the flesh, but regardless of that, he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in likeness of man and being found in fashion as a man he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross jesus is the ultimate example of denying himself and giving and putting somebody else above himself jesus suffered pain jesus suffered rejection the scripture says over in hebrews look unto jesus the author and the finisher of your faith lest you be wearied and faint in your mind because you haven't yet resisted unto blood striving against sin None of us have suffered the way that Jesus did, and yet Jesus turned around to the very people crucifying him and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He was more concerned. He was looking on the things of others. Even as he was dying, he was thinking about the people who were killing him, mocking him, criticizing him, saying, If you're the Son of God, save yourself. They stripped him naked and made fun of him. Hey, King of the Jews, come down. And yet Jesus was thinking more about them than he was himself. Paul did the same things, what he's saying. He says, it doesn't matter. Imprison me, do anything. If Jesus is glorified, I'm content. I'm happy because, man, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. This is a way that Jesus lived. And then Paul talks about it again over in the third chapter. I'm going through this real quick, but I'll be through in just a minute. But in the third chapter, Paul said this. In verse 4, he says, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more circumcise the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is of the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Paul had said in the first chapter, I'm willing to suffer imprisonment. I'm willing to die if that's going to glorify the Lord. He was talking about all the negatives. I'm willing to endure these negatives. You know, there's a few people that have seen this truth. Very few, but there's a few that enter into it. But now he comes back and talks about all the positives. He had all the acclaim of everybody. He was the Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was righteous. He had so many good things, and he also counted the good things but done for the sake of knowing Christ. He didn't just forsake all of the bad things and say, I'm going to serve God even through the bad times, but he took all of his credentials, his resume, and wadded it up and threw it away. And he says, I'm nothing without Christ, good or bad. He surrendered everything, lock, stock, and barrel, to the Lord. And in verse 8, he says, Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness, which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. He says, I've given up everything for what purpose that I might know him. Do you know that you can literally fall in love with God more than you're in love with yourself? And he goes on and on and on. Man, I wish I had time to go through all this. The fourth chapter, after he says all of these things, then he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. Paul was able to rejoice. Everybody wants Philippians chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. That's what I want, brother. Come up here and lay hands on me so that I can rejoice. Fill me, get me filled, get me happy, get me doing something. But don't make me die to myself. Don't make me get to where to live is Christ. I don't want to do that. You give it to me. Come up here and let me lay hands on you and you'll get happy so that you can go back and be carnal and serve yourself and love yourself more than you love anybody else and just come down here and get Bob to pray for you every time you get miserable. Come to church and get them to fill you up every time you just get into the flesh. That's what most people are wanting. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching good. Isn't that what Hagen said? (laughs) I'm not saying these things to hurt you. I'm saying it to enlighten you. Some of you wonder, why is my life up and down? Man, I came and I got so blessed last week. I was running around the church. I was shouting, praising God. I laid on the floor and laughed for three hours. And by Wednesday, I was mean as a snake. Man, I was biting people's head off, nearly ready to divorce my wife. And what's going on? How come I can't maintain it? Because you're drawn off of somebody else who has died to themselves and is letting the life of Christ flow through them, and you're bootlegging the gospel. Amen. Now, all of us need help. There is nothing wrong with coming and saying, Hey, I need help, and let somebody lay hands on you and at least get you up to the ground level so that you get to start at a level place. There's nothing wrong with that. But to substitute that to where you just go back to your own carnal ways and where you love yourself and exalt yourself above anybody and everything else that's called God and you serve yourself and then come back and just over and over and over let the church people pray for you, that is not the way that God intended the Christian life to be. And that's where most people are living. That's where most Christians are living. And God didn't intend that. This isn't a substitute. It's a help. And all of us need help. Don't be too proud to get help. Man, come and get help, but don't stay in that place. Don't substitute the pastor or somebody else for God in your life. You need to learn how to do this. And Paul's telling you the way he did it. He counted everything but lost. He died to himself. For him to live was Christ. Jesus was the center of his life. And I can tell you, brothers and sisters, learning to love somebody else more than yourself is the key to being content. It's the key. You know, I have not arrived. I don't mean to present that. I'm just saying I've left. Amen? And I can tell you that on March the 23rd, 1968, right over here in University Baptist Pastors Study in Arlington, Texas, I had an encounter with God where I made that decision. I ran up the white flag and I said, God, I abhor myself. I am tired of living for myself. God, forgive me. I want you to be everything in my life. I've never fulfilled it 100%. I've, I've always fallen short of it. I'm still short of it today. But I can tell you what, since March the 23rd, 1968, I have never, ever desired to take it back. I have never desired to put self back on the throne of my life and to have self dominate me. I have been seeking with all I've got to just make Jesus the center of everything I've done. And I haven't arrived perfectly. I haven't done it. But you know what? I've been pressing towards that mark is what Paul said. He said he hadn't arrived. He's just pressing towards the mark. But I can say this, and I know some people will disagree with this. Some people will think I'm lying. That's your choice. But I'm telling you, in the name of the Lord, since March the 23rd, 1968, I have not been depressed and defeated to the point that it affected me in a negative way. I've had those temptations. I've had plenty of problems come my way. But you know what, I just, I don't know how to say it other than that I dealt with that self, I died to it, and I've had terrible things happen in my life, but it is not that important. Jesus is my life, and he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and it's kept me on an even keel. It's kept me on an even keel through all kinds of things because He's my life and He's still my joy and I still am happy even when things around me are going to, <laughs> going to pot, amen. When things around me are falling apart, Jesus is still the central figure of my life. I can't help but rejoice. I've been in situations where I should have been depressed. My mind was telling me I should have been depressed and yet I just knew that God loved me and how in the world can you get upset when God loves you? I've had people spit in my face within the last year as I was preaching to them and talking to them. People spit in my face and cussed me out. And you know what? I felt compassion for that person. I wasn't mad at them. I wasn't upset. I didn't want to punch their lights out or rip their lips off in the name of Jesus. (laughs) But you know what? I actually felt compassion for that guy. I don't know how to explain it except it's like Paul said in Galatians 2.20, it's not me living, but it's Christ living in me. Again, I'm not saying I've arrived, but I'm saying that I can tell it's working. Amen. I'm different than I used to be. And there are some of you that have not done that yet. There are some of you that are born again. You've committed your eternity to the Lord. You've asked Jesus to forgive your sins. But as far as your day-to-day life, you are living for yourself. If self gets touched... Boy, you're ready to nuke them till they glow and shoot them in the dark. Man, you don't give a rip. I mean, just bless God, they touch self. Self is the source of all of your strife. And there are some of you that on a day-to-day basis, I guarantee you, don't mess with me. And then you wonder why you aren't satisfied, why you aren't happy, why there isn't joy. Self cannot be satisfied. It has to be denied. It has to be rejected. And there are some of you that have never made that decision. It's very possible to make Jesus your Savior and yet not trust Him to rule and reign in your life over everything. For you to be in control, doing your own thing and asking God's blessing on it. You know, that's another thing that happened on March the 23rd. Since that time, I have never done something and asked God to bless it. I just do what I feel God told me to do, and I know that if I'm doing what God told me to do, it's blessed, and I'm blessed, and I don't have to spend any time asking God's blessing on what I'm doing. It's a greater way to live. It's a superior way to live. And I know some of you may may be fearful, saying, well, I I don't know if I could live that way. But you know, you can. That's the victorious Christian life. That's what Paul said. This is how he learned to be content. And I tell you what, it's the secret to your contentment. It's a secret. It really is. There are some of you here that may be good people, but the truth is Paul was an excellent person, but he counted all that stuff but dung too. Matter of fact, it's when you're down and out that it's the easiest to recognize your need for the Lord. Some of you that are really good people are some of the most self-centered because, man, you've got a lot of good that you can depend on and you don't want to give up any of that good. It doesn't matter if you're good or if you're bad. You need to get rid of your flesh. It doesn't matter if you got yucky flesh or USDA choice flesh. Amen. If you're in the flesh, you can't please God. You need to repent and you need to say, God, I want You ruling and controlling my life. And the good news is that you can choose. He says you choose. He says choose life or death. And then it's like a test. You know, choose A, life. B, death. And then in parentheses, He says easy answer. It should have been a no-brainer between life and death, blessing and cursing, but just in case anybody missed it, he says, choose life. (laughs) He whispered the answer to you. Man, this is simple. If you, if you this test, you you just aren't very sharp. (laughs) It's your choice. You can choose life. You can choose to deny yourself. And it's not something you do one time and then you never have to do it again. I've actually had people come up and say, brother, I'm ready. Pray for me and get rid of this flesh. You don't ever get rid of your flesh. The only way you're going to get rid of your flesh is if I knock you in the head and kill you. That's the only way out. You're going to have a self from now until you go to be with Jesus. But you know what? You can deny it. And when it rears its head, deal with it. God can't show you all a self at one time. If he did, you'd overdose. You just couldn't handle it. He'll give it to you little by little. You know, Jim Irwin, the the astronaut that walked on the moon, he was a friend of mine, and I was talking to him one time about his trip to the moon, and I was in Vietnam when that happened, so I missed the moonshot. and I've always been interested in that, and I was pumping him, man, trying to find out about this stuff, and he shared with me, and you know, I thought that the technology that they had was so awesome that they just put that thing in space, and it landed on the exact spot that they had planned for, and he was telling me that they actually threw that capsule towards the moon, And every 10 minutes for four and a half days, they had a course correction. And he said sometimes they would have to burn and turn that capsule 90 degrees. Sometimes it would be pointed off at a 90 degree angle to the moon, headed in that direction. And they'd have to turn that thing around. Sometimes it was just a fraction of a second. Sometimes they'd have to turn that thing. Every 10 minutes, they had a course correction for four and a half days. In truth, that thing went to the moon like that. And then they had a 500-mile-long landing strip they tried to land on. And he says when he jumped out of the lunar module, he was within five feet of being outside that target area. They nearly missed a 500-mile-long landing strip. (laughs) And guess what? They made it. He was telling me about that, and the Lord spoke to me, and he says, that's the way it is with dealing with self. Some people just want to come up and pray for me and praise God, I'm going to deal with self and never have this problem again. Doesn't happen that way. You don't get there. You just blast off. Some of you haven't blasted off. Some of you hadn't even made it to the launching pad. Some of you didn't know there was a launching pad. Some of you are still under the idea that, Hey, self is the most important thing in the world. i got to love myself more than anybody else. I'm going to take care of number one. I'm telling you that there's a place that you can blast off and leave that kind of thinking behind. Amen. And if you receive prayer tonight, and if you say, man, tonight's my night. I'm turning on self. I want Jesus to be everything in my life. You know what? Before you get out the back door, you'll probably get an opportunity for a course correction. (laughs) If you go back there to get a tape, somebody may get the last tape. And it's going to be your opportunity to say, oh, I'm going to think on the things of others instead of things of my own. Amen. And you're going to say, I'd rather you have it than me, me to have it. Before you get out of the parking lot, somebody will pull in front of you and you'll get to bless them in Jesus' name, amen. (laughs) I tell you what, you'll spend course corrections the rest of your life, but does that mean that you didn't make a commitment? No, God still deals with me all the time. I have to deal with self. You don't get delivered of self, but I can tell you this, that I've never, if you truly commit yourself to the Lord, you never have to do that again. You have to repent and say, Father, I'm sorry. Here's this self again and get back in line. But you don't ever have to just repent and say, I've I've never done it.